what? I think I'm just going to go to John chapter 18. That's where I'm going to be in my Sunday school class. I was going to be in Psalm 50, but now I'm not. This is Psalm 18. I mean, Psalm 18. Uh, John 18 is the, this is the passage where Jesus has, has finished. Uh, John is a, is, a, is a different book than Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, Matthew, Mark, and Luke because John gives the, ha- the last half of the whole ch- book of John is Jesus simply talking and teaching to his disciples, teaching them in the upper room, uh, washing their feet, teaching them about what's to come, teaching them about all the things that are about to go on uh, in, their, in their, their, their lives after Jesus uh, physically dies on the cross, raises from the dead and ascends into heaven. They're going to be left alone. They're going to be left without the physical presence of Christ. But the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's teaching them all this. And so that's uh, through John 13 through about 17. He is 17. He, he, he finishes teaching and he starts praying for them. And if, I, if you've never read John chapter 17 and studied it, I would very highly recommend it because that's Jesus's prayer for his disciples. And he's praying to the Father for you and I. He's praying to the Father for for us, for those who would believe on the word of the apostles. And that's us. So uh, it's comforting thought. Last week I told them, you know, as a as a as a pastor, brother Eddie would know this, and and Johnny and anybody who's ever ministered to somebody. But as a hospital chaplain, basically, what I do is I go in there and I pray for you. And really, that's all I can do. Sometimes people look at me like, well, you're supposed to make me feel better. You're supposed to fix my problem. And I'm like, I can't fix your problem. All I can do is point you to the one who can fix your problem. And so it's a comforting thought to have Jesus himself come lay his hand on you, so to speak, and pray for you before the Father. And that's what he does in John chapter 17. But after that's over in John chapter 18, right here, just the first uh, 13, 14 verses we're going to read, Jesus goes out to meet uh, his accusers. He goes out to meet Judas, his betrayer. He goes out to meet the soldiers and the, the temple police and the people that are coming to arrest him. And what I want you to see is that even in the midst, when everything looks darkest, the, the disciples, that Jesus has told them about everything that's about to happen. He's told them that, you know, I'm going to uh, be handed over to the Gentiles. I'm going to die. I'm going to spend three days in the earth like Jonah uh, spent three days in the way. He's told them all these things. They still don't quite understand. They're a little disappointed. They're a little uh, depressed. They're a little, they're a little panicky about the fact that Jesus now has told them, hey guys, uh, it's been a great run. I'm leaving. You know, and, and of course, they're they're kind of freaking out, as you can imagine. They expected Jesus was going to be this one who would come in power and glory, and he would wipe away the Romans, and he would set up Jerusalem as the the the, the capital of the world, and the nations would come. And they thought that this was this was the Messiah that this was that he was going to do. And Jesus was indeed the Messiah, but he wasn't the kind that they wanted. He wasn't the kind that they were expecting. They were expecting a political military leader. And all of a sudden, in the midst of this Passover, this meal that they're having between John 13 and 17, he tells them, hey, guys, I'm leaving. I'll see you all later. 
I'm going to send the comforter and he's going to be with you and they're going to kill you and they're going to persecute you and they're going to hate you if you come in my name. He, and he tells them all this and it's like a shock to the system. They thought, hey, everything's fixing to be rosy and it's going to be great and we're going to be, we're going to be at the right hand. At one point, two disciples even argued about who would be the, the greatest among them. Would, would you sit on Jesus' right or would I sit on Jesus' right? And Jesus comes to tell them that's not the way it's going to be. It's going to be a life of, of suffering. It's going to be a life of joy and happiness in Christ, joy and happiness in God, understanding that you've been given all things in the kingdom, but everybody in the world's going to hate you. Last time, if you were here in the, uh, the early service, we talked about uh, loving, don't love the world or the things in the world. Well, here Jesus is going to go out, and I don't know about you, but it, it, it almost seems like, um, I don't know, I like those movies where... Uh, there, there's an abundance of superhero movies coming out. I mean, it's like from Superman, Batman. I, I mean, the, I think y'all went and saw Ant-Man last night. I mean, I don't know. I don't think I would spend no money to see Ant-Man. I mean, but all of a sudden, there's all these superhero movies coming out. And Jesus, in this passage, in chapter 18, the first few verses, this is where Jesus comes out. And it's like he is, he is he's like a superhero. I mean, he, he stands out to go in the midst of all of this death that's coming to him, all this suffering that's coming to him, all this trial, tribulation that's coming to him. And in the midst of all of this darkness, in the midst of all of this, when everything seems like it's just bleak and it's never going to get any better and it's awful and it's horrible, uh, Jesus is in complete control, even when it doesn't seem like it. So let's read. It says... Uh, uh, See, what I should have done was I should have kept on talking and come down here like I was preaching and then grabbed my notes and then went back up. But that's not what I did. So these are actually my Sunday school notes. I was going to be in Psalm 50. Um, In verse one and two, it says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with the disciples over the brook of Kedron. He is leaving the upper room. He's leaving the meal with the disciples and he's going out where there was a garden. That's the garden of Gethsemane into uh, into the into the which he entered and his disciple and Judas also, which betrayed him knew the place for Jesus oftentimes resorted thither with his disciples. There was, Jesus did not hide. Now think of this. Jesus is at the meal and he knows Judas is about to betray him. This is the, the, the few chapters earlier, uh, Jesus handed Judas the sop of bread and said, what you're going to do, you go do quickly. And Judas leaves. And so he's going to betray Jesus. So Jesus goes to a place that he had gone to previously that he had gone to uh, every other day at, at this time it was the Passover and you couldn't go so far from Jerusalem uh, because then you would be unclean to eat the Passover so instead of going very far he would just go out onto the Mount of Olives in this garden and he would pray every night and his disciples would pray every night and they would just spend the night out there on this Mount of Olives and Judas was well aware of where he was going but Jesus didn't change his habit he didn't change anything he went out knowing that Jesus knew exactly where he was going to be, exactly what time he was going to be there. And he knew how to get a hold of Jesus before the Passover. And Jesus didn't change his routine. He didn't hide from Judas. He didn't hide and go somewhere else or say it would have been very, very easy for Jesus not to have been arrested. It would have been very, very easy for Jesus to have 
you know, gone somewhere else or stayed hidden away in the upper room or stayed somewhere else uh, because the reason they came to arrest him at night with soldiers and torches and, and all these things because they didn't want a riot to go on. They didn't bother him when he was preaching in the temple. They didn't bother him when he was walking the streets and out around Galilee, the countryside. They didn't bother him when he was in the tabernacle. Darkness came when nobody else was around. Nobody else could see. And Jesus knew that this was going to be the place. The, he, Jesus knew that this was going to be the time. So I want you to see just a few things. It says, Judas then having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees cometh thither with, with lanterns, torches, and weapons. You probably wouldn't get it from the English text, but uh, the band of men there is is the word that's used for like a Roman cohort. So not only did Judas show up with Pharisees and Jews and temple police, he showed up with the, the Romans as well. Now, there's some people that say it was a thousand men. Some people say it was 600 men. Some people say it was 200 men. I, I don't really know, and it doesn't really matter. But it was a bunch of people. If you filled up this, this sanctuary, it's probably, I think we took a couple of rows out. So it may be like 450 people, 450 seats in this sanctuary. So you just imagine everybody, all these seats filled with people. Each one had a torch in their hand. That would have been the crowd that that looked like that was coming for Jesus. And they didn't seek him. Like I said, they came in the darkness. Judas knew where they where they were. But what I think is really interesting is that even enemies, the Romans hated the Pharisees and the Jews, because they were they were rebelling against their authority. And years later, they would go to war because of, they were rebelling against their authority. But the Jews hated to be under the Roman rule. But when it came to Jesus, boy, they came together, didn't they? They came together and even bitter enemies came together. If you're of the darkness, you'll get with anybody as long as as long as they're of the darkness. I'll give you an example of what I mean. Uh, today, the uh, the. The, you know, Christians are the last group that it's okay to persecute, it's okay to talk about, it's okay to uh, offend and all those kind of things. And, and <clears throat> it tickles me, it, t- well, it doesn't really tickle me, but it's interesting to me that all the darkness in the world will gang up and be united against Christians, against the church, against uh, Jesus Christ. And that's the way he said it would be. But the they don't... Um, they're, they're contradictory to themselves. Like, for instance, give, give you an example. Uh, homosexual agendas against Christianity and what it stands for. But they have no problem with the Muslim religion and what they stand for. The Muslim people here in America that claim to be the representatives of the whatever, they are all rainbow flag folks. They love it. But if you go to a Muslim country and try to do that, they're going to cut your head off. You see what I mean? So they're bitter enemies with each other. But when it comes to Christians, when it comes to the church, oh, they'll join up. It's all good. We'll join up against Jesus. We'll join up against Christ. And so you see the Romans and the Jews here both join up against Jesus and come to him in the darkness. And now if you're one of his disciples, you're thinking Jesus has got all this going on. Jesus is is the Messiah. He's going to bring peace to the land. He's going to bring prosperity. He's going to bring the fulfillment of all the things that we've thought were coming 
around for a long time and it's just what a wonderful time to be alive. And then all of a sudden you're going out to this garden that you've been to before uh, hundreds of times maybe. And, and this is where Jesus told them to watch and pray in the other gospels. This is where Jesus got down on his hands and knees and says, Lord, if, if there's any other way that you can accomplish this, if there's any other way, take, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will. All that has already transpired. That's, that's uh, written in the other gospels. All that's already taken place. And here comes Judas and here comes those soldiers and they've united themselves against Christ. In verse four, it says, Jesus, I love this. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, who do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. Now, that's very important. We're going to see how, how important it is in just a minute. But imagine this. Jesus, knowing, it says specifically that he knew that this was about to happen. He knew that Judas and his band was about to get it. He knew that he was be, he would be leaving this garden in chains and he would never be a free man again until he was resurrected on the third day. He knew that uh, trials were about to take place. That's what the, the, the next few chapters in John specify. He knew that all these things would go on and he, he was he was there was no hindrance in him. We get a picture sometimes about Jesus in the garden, kneeling down, going, Father, if it's anyway, please. You know, we get this picture of him like, I really don't want to do this. I really don't want this to happen. Uh, please don't make me do this. Please, God, don't make me do this. That's not what Jesus was thinking at this moment at all. Because he knew all that was about to happen, and he went forth. He went forth with courage. He went forth with strength. He went forth like a superhero would in those superhero movies. Uh, he went forth to do the will of God, knowing that it would lead to his death. It would lead to his torture. And it would lead to a feeling that the disciples had been abandoned. They would feel in this moment. Uh, I don't know if y'all have, have read much about it, but in this moment, the disciples all fled. Peter is about to, he grabs a sword here in a minute and he tries to defend Jesus. But in the end result, Peter, even himself in this very chapter, denied Jesus three times. So he was truly alone. He knew that all his disciples were going to scatter. He knew that Judas, the Jews and the Romans were about to come and get him. He knew that he was going to be tortured and ridiculed and mocked, brought before Herod and Pilate, brought before the high priest, uh, brought to an illegal trial uh, at nighttime before the Sanhedrin. He knew that all these things would go on. He knew that he would be beaten within an inch of his life. And then at the very end, he'd be forced to carry his cross uh, and and nailed to the cross. He would be killed and die for the sins of the world. And not only this, but more importantly and more scary to me, the wrath of the Holy Father fell down upon him. He knew that he was about to face the wrath of God. It always bothered me that I probably have told you all this before. It always bothered me how many, if you look back in history, there have been so many Christian martyrs that have gone to their death and they've gone proudly. They've gone with no hindrance. They've gone, you know, so what? I'll die and let's do it. Let's get it over with. And then you have a picture of Jesus in the garden <clears throat> going, please take this from me. And it always bothered me. Like, <clears throat> how could Jesus not be as strong as these guys? How could Jesus not be as willing as these guys? Uh, but the reality was Jesus was. And we're going to see that in a minute. But <clears throat> Jesus was going to face something that you and I are not going to face. All right, I'm going to cough. 
When you and I die, when you and I die, when we go to our grave, we get to be in the Father's presence. I mean, the worst that can happen is that you die and then you go to heaven. But when Jesus died, he didn't just die and get to go see the Father. Of course, he did. But he, but as he was dying, he faced the wrath of a holy God. And that's something that you and I as believers is ne- are never going to have to face. That's something that you and I, that's something that the people who were fed to the lions and persecuted and killed, and that's something they never had to face. They never had to face the wrath of God because all that wrath was poured out on Christ. But Jesus, knowing what was coming, he went forth and he said, who are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. Now, if probably is he italicized in, in your Bible? That's uh, that's if it's italicized, that's usually they are. It's, it's added by the translators to make good sense in English. Jesus said, I am. And he was saying he said that over in John. He said, I am the true vine. I am the the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. It's a, it's a constant theme in John. And it's going back to the burning bush where Moses said, who will I tell him? Who will I tell him sent me? And God, and God said from the bush, you tell him that I am sent you. Jesus is saying, he says, I am. And at the moment that he says this word, think about whether it's 200 or whether it's a thousand soldiers that came to get him, what happened? Boom. They all fell over. That next verse says, uh, what verse will six. As soon as he had said that unto them, I am he. They went backward and fell to the ground. Now, Jesus is in complete control. Nobody's taken him that he doesn't allow to take him. Now, what I want you to see is his disciples <clears throat> were terrified. They were. I mean, can you imagine 11 guys, one of, them's, one of them's coming as a betrayer, 11 guys standing here. Jesus has already broke all this news to them and they're standing here and they're afraid. They're not certain what's going on. And all of a sudden they hear swords and they see torch lights coming and they see all these people coming and they're coming to get us. They're coming to kill us. They're coming. Who knows what they're coming for? They're in despair. They're probably panicked. And now Jesus steps forth In the midst of all this, he says, who are you looking for? They say, we're looking for Jesus. He says, I am. I am him is what he was saying. I am he. And they all fall over. Now, if you're a disciple, you're thinking, dang. (laughs) Jesus is in complete control. Even when at this moment, you know, there's things going on in your life. you, You don't understand. There's things that are causing you to feel like everything's out of control, like the whole world's coming against you, like there's enemies in your life. It could be just enemies in your own heart. I know that when I when I studied this text and I prayed through it and speaking to God and letting him speak to me through about it, it, it was not so much, ooh, there's soldiers coming after you. It was that your own flesh and, and, and the devil and the world and all the enemies that you fight every day, they, they're coming after you. But Jesus says, I am in control. I'm in control of all these things. Nobody's taking me unless I let the... It doesn't matter if it was the whole Roman Empire's army standing in the garden about to surround me and take me. Jesus puts them all on their rear end with, a, with two words, I am. He puts them all on their rear end by simply saying, I'm God. Simple as that. He, he puts them no matter what. Now, now, now I'm a soldier. What would you be thinking? Like... Okay, maybe half of them, if you just fail, it's like maybe I fail. But the whole bunch of them all at once, Judah standing with them. Remember it said Judah standing with them. Verse 5 says, 
They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus said unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with him. Uh, in the other gospels, uh, it talks about, this is after Judas has kissed him. This is after the other gospels talk about that. And some, some of them leave the, the thought, well, maybe Judas kissed him. And he was like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I just shouldn't have done. But John makes it clear. And he wants you to know that Judas was a betrayer and he stood with Christ's enemies. He stood with Christ's enemies. So the Romans, the Jews, and Judas himself all knocked back on their rear end by a word, by Jesus speaking. So understand what John's trying to show us here is that even in the most awful situation, even when uh, the, whole, the whole Roman system is against Christ and the Jewish religious system is against Christ, even when the world comes against you, Jesus is in complete control. He's in complete control of this situation. And understand, guys, they are not taking me unless I allow them to take me. Now, this is the funniest passage in the whole Bible. As soon as they as soon as he said that to him, they went back and they fell on the ground. And then he asked them again, whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I, I get this. This is all in my mind. So you just take it however you want to. But. Uh, he asked them again. So I'm thinking like, he, okay, they all fell down on the, on the ground and, and Jesus leans over like, who is it you looking for? <laughs> I mean, that's, it's just funny to me. I don't know. <laughs> that may not be the way it was, but it, he says, who is it that you're looking for? And they said, again, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I've told you that I'm he. That's the next verse. I've told you that I'm he. And it's me that you want. It's me that's going so let these guys go. Let these disciples go. That's what he says. And uh, Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way. That's the gospel in a nutshell. That's the gospel right there. Jesus stands forth in complete control of the situation. Not worried about, you know, like we, we talk about all the time. I can call 10,000 angels and, you know, all that. Uh, Jesus didn't even have to call 10,000 angels. He could spoke a word. You see in the Old Testament where uh, just angels angels uh, spoke a word, prayed a prayer, and then everybody in the crowd went blind. Or, or like uh, the w- one single angel killed 185,000 people when the Assyrians were marching against Jerusalem. That's in the Old Testament. I mean, Jesus didn't need to do anything other than to speak a word, and he could make them all disappear. He could make them all fall dead. He could make them all go blind. He could do a myriad of, of things. Instead, he just knocks them on their back to let them know, to let the disciples know they're not taking me. I'm going of my own free will and nobody can take me unless I decide that I'm going. I want you to know that I'm not the beaten, uh, persecuted, wimpy, weakling Messiah that can't, uh, that can't take care of himself, that can't take care of his disciples, that can't control any situation, that can't be God in any situation. I am. And that's what Jesus said. I am that I am. I'm the one that was speaking from that burning bush. I'm the one that parted that sea for Moses. I'm the one that knocked all of these soldiers on their rear end so that you would know that even in the darkest time, even when all hell comes against you in the darkness, secretly, not in the light, but in the darkness, when it comes and there's no one to deliver, I am will always come through, will always control the situation, even even if it means... That there's suffering and persecution involved. So he says, he says, I'm he. I've told you that I'm he. Let these others go their way. That's the gospel. He went forth of his own will, of his own 
accord, knowing that he could get out of it at any time, he went forth so that the disciples could go free. He went to the cross so that you could go free. He went to the cross and paid the price so that the situations that you are going through, you can be assured that all things are working for your good, that all things, Jesus is in control of the situations that seem out of control. He's in control of when all hell and all your enemies comes against you. Jesus answered, I told you, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke of them, which thou gavest me. I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, and here's kind of the point that we're getting to. Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, put up thy sword into thy sheath. The cup which my father has given me, shall I not drink it? Here's the point. Peter, now we know that in this, in this very chapter, Peter's going to deny Jesus three times later on. We're not going to get to there, but read on later and you'll see that. Peter in... Three chapters before told Jesus, I don't care if everybody else denies you. I'm going I'm to be with you until death. And so here, Peter, it seems like he's making good on his, his promise. I, it doesn't say he, he picked up a sword and stood ready. You know, you, I always, I always, well, I don't know if I better say that, but I always, when we were, when you get ready to fight somebody, don't tell them, hey, I'm finna fight you. Just go on and do it. You know, that's the best way to handle that. Don't don't warn them beforehand. Peter didn't stand and say, "Okay, look, I'm ready." He pulled out his sword. And he started whacking at people. Now he, I mean, unless unless you think this fisherman from Galilee was some kind of great, awesome swordsman, I can only imagine he was aiming at his head when he missed his head and hit his ear. Unless he just, I mean, he was just the swordsman of all swordsmen and cut off people's ears. But he was probably aiming at the guy's head. He was probably fixing to kill him. He was probably going to battle. No, he's just seen his master, his Lord, his Messiah, knock everybody back with a single word. Heck yeah, I'm going to battle. I'll get, I'm on his team. I'll be on his team and we'll go against all of you guys. But what does Jesus tell him? He says, now put your sword up. He said, this is the father's will that I go with him. And in other gospels, it shows Jesus even heal the man's ear and say, you know, Put his ear back on. And so it shows his power, his, his control of the situation. Understand that Peter thought he was doing a good thing. And this is the point for you and me as we get ready to close. The point for you and me is Jesus is in control of your situation. He's in control of what's going on in your life, even though you think all these things are coming against you. <clears throat> he's in control and he knows what's going on. He knows what he's doing. He's got everything planned out. He's got every, every avenue covered. There's nothing that's slipping through his fingers, nothing that's slipping by him that you, that you need to remind him of because maybe he's not seeing the whole picture. He's got the whole picture. It's you that aren't seeing the whole picture. And what Peter did, he did from a good heart. I don't believe Peter was like uh, trying to hinder things. I think he was trying to help Jesus. He was trying to help and not let this happen. He was trying to do the right thing. He was trying to stand up and fight for what he believed in. He was, you know, he was trying, he had a good intention. He had a good motive for what he was doing, but he was hindering the kingdom of God. He was by by trying to do it himself, by trying to pull it, pull it off himself, by trying to stand in front of Jesus and protect him from all of this stuff going on, 
he was hindering the kingdom of God because the Father had ordained that the Christ would go to the cross and pay for the sins of the world. Now, in Peter's mind, he's thinking, I'm doing the right thing. This is the Messiah. This is God himself. I'm going to fight for him. But Jesus already demonstrated that he was in complete control. And I don't need you with your awesome little sword, which was probably more like a dagger. Uh, I don't need you, one man, against two or three hundred swinging your sword when I can knock the whole army down by just saying my name. I can knock them all down. And so he says, Peter, put up your sword. Let me fight this battle. Let me do what the Father has ordained for me to do. He says, that's exactly what he says when he says, put up that sword into that sheath. The cup which my Father has given me, shall I not drink it? He's saying, are you, by hindering, by, by trying to do it yourself, by trying to go to battle by yourself in your own strength, with your own sword, with your own, with your own might, with your own skills, with your own abilities, by trying to do that, don't you understand that you're getting in the way of what the Father has sent me to do? You're getting in the way of what the Father has ordained for me to do. And we do the same thing in our life. When we come and we say, I'm going to handle this situation. I'm going to do this. I'm going to figure it all out. I'm going to make plans to do this. And we give no thought as to what God is doing in this situation. We give no thought as to what he would have us to know, what he would have us to learn in in this situation. We give no thought as to the good that's coming out of it or how he can use us. That's the thing is most of us, and I put me in this category as well, The purpose of our life is for me to be happy. The purpose of our lives is for everything to revolve around what I'm going to get and how I'm going to get it rather than I'm supposed to be a tool so that God can get what he wants to get. God is keeping me here because this is where I am best effective as a tool for him. God is moving me over there because this is where I'm best effective as a tool for him. But we, and I put, I'm guilty as anybody else in here. I want to go over the fence because I'll be happier over there. And God is saying, you're a tool that I'm using right here. And I'll say, I want to go over there. I want to do this. I want to get this. I want to have this ability. I want to be able to do this. I want to be able to accomplish this. And God's saying, it's not about what you want to do. You are an instrument used for me. You're an instrument used where I want you to be used. So when Peter brandishes his sword and he goes nuts all over Malchus's head and cuts his ear off, he is thinking that he's doing what God would have him to do. He's fighting for the kingdom of God, but in reality, he's fighting against the kingdom of God. Because if Jesus doesn't go to the cross, Peter going to hell and you and me are going to hell. So Jesus was given the cup to drink by his father. He was given the mission by his father. He was given the plan by his father. And today in your life, he knows all the avenues that are going on. He knows the big picture about what struggles that you're facing. He knows the big picture about where your, where your biggest problems are at, where your biggest struggles are at, what's keeping you from being more conformed to the image of Christ. Make no mistake, I'm not talking about Jesus is going to make you happy. I'm not talking that Jesus, he knows all your problems and he's ready to solve your problems and he's just wanting to make you happy. Just get out of the way so you can be happy. I'm not talking about that at all. If you've heard that, you've missed the whole point of the sermon and you've missed the whole point of the text. What I'm saying is Jesus is using you as an effective tool or you're getting in the way of him using you 
as an effective tool. If you're living your own life, doing your own thing, getting, you know, whatever it is. I mean, you could go from all the way from sex, drugs, rock and roll to all the way from doing religious works. Anywhere along that spectrum. If you find yourself the super religious doing everything right, doing everything the way you're supposed to be doing, or the one on the other side doing absolutely nothing except for things for yourself, if you, most of us will probably be in the middle somewhere, you find yourself on that spectrum, understand that God is wanting to use you as a tool. He's wanting to conform you to the image of his son. And when you yank out that sword and think that you're trying to start striking at your enemies, trying to battle in the power of Christ and in the power of the Lord, more times than not, if you would just back up and let the Lord have the battle, the battle is the Lord. I come to you, I, I think it was Zechariah who said, uh, it's not by might or by power, but it's by the, the spirit. And so we understand that when we fight these battles, um, the best thing that we can do is just wait on the Lord and have him use us. Peter wanted to be more at that moment than what Jesus needed him to be. Most of us don't really have that problem. Uh, For my own life, I know that most of the time I want to be less than what Jesus wants me to be. Uh, I might, I don't know, uh, I would want to think that if I was standing up looking at 200, 400, 600 soldiers with swords and torches and all those things, I would like to think I'd be the dude that drawed his sword and, and started whacking at folks. But more likely, I'd be one of them other guys that had done, took off. You know, it's like Jesus said, Jesus says, who are you looking for? You know, and he looked around like, where'd they go? Where'd all my disciples go? They're gone. More often than not, we want to be less than what Jesus wants us to be. I want to be able to come to church. I want to be able to do, you know, I want to be able to come and listen to the preaching and hear the music and, 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 and lift up my hands and do these things. I want to be able to do the, those things, but that's all I want to do. I don't want to be an instrument for God in my school. I don't want to be an instrument for God in my work. I don't want to be an instrument for God in my family or in my neighborhood or in all the places I go. Uh, Peter, we can say that uh, he was trying to be more than what Jesus needed him at that time. But if you keep on reading, and I'm about to close, we're not going to have time to get to it. But if you keep on reading in this in this chapter, a little later on, Peter swung way too far the other way. And he was a whole lot less than what Jesus needed him to be. When Peter, the big bad Peter who pulled his sword and was about to fight a whole cohort of temple police and Romans. He buckled when a little slave girl says, aren't you one of them? Peter said, well, I'm not one of them. So what you see is Jesus is in control of your situation. But we have to learn to get out of the way and let him take it. We have to learn to get out of the way and let him have it. Uh, Jesus' control, even when the, when the devil seems like he's winning. Let me read the last few verses and then we'll go. It says, Then the band and the captain of the officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that year. And this shows that this is where the trials begin, so I'll just stop there. But they led him away. They took him away. They bound him, tied him up, And led him away as a prisoner, a criminal, arrested in the middle of the night. But understand that it was because he allowed them to do so. 
And so whatever it is that you have in your life, whatever that you're going, going through, all the things that we deal with, the world, the flesh, the devil, you pick it, enemies, persecution, people that are offending you, having to forgive people, having to just all the things that you deal with, understand, understand, even when, even when it looks the darkest and Satan and the world has come against you with sword torches, Jesus is in control. He is the I am and nothing comes to you that does not pass through his hands first. Uh, the last thing I'll say before we go, before we pray is, uh, it's like, like this, the, I used to have a, a ring with a family crest on it, like a long time ago. Uh, I don't know where that is. That's probably, I probably need to find that. But I had the ring that symbolized my family. And then I have my wedding ring that symbolizes my family, you know, Dana and the, and the kids. And the, those two rings basically show who I am. You know, there's from my family crest, my lineage, whatever, and my wedding ring, who I, who I am. And there's a passage in scripture that says your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so what I'm trying to tell you is simply this. If I put, just pretend like I had that other ring. If I put both of those rings in this fist and they're in Christ and they're hidden in Christ, they're hidden with Christ in God. And I put them both in these hands. There's no way you or anybody else can get to those two rings without going through my hands some kind of way. They're hidden with Christ in God. There's no way that temptation, trial, tribulation, your enemies, your sufferings, your persecutions, your things that you go through in your life, there's no way they can get to you unless they pass through God's hands, just like those rings. There's no way that you can get to those rings unless you pass through my hands. In the same way Job was protected by God, he would not, Satan could not just run up on Job and start doing what he wanted. He had to go and ask permission. And God says, you know what, I'm going to let you, but God's reasons were for good. So no matter what goes on, no matter what happens, no matter what comes against you, no matter what enemies are attacking you in your life, it's not because God has lost control. It's not because God's not paying attention. It's not because God is just all of a sudden, whoops, let the wheel go and the boat started steering away. It's because God has a purpose and a plan for good. And it's to use you as an instrument. And sometimes those instruments, they need to be sharpened a little bit. And that hurts. So whatever God's doing in your life, be thankful for it. Bible says to be thankful in all things. Rejoice when you're persecuted. Rejoice when you go through various trials and sufferings. James said that. God's molding you and making you, and he's in complete control. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Thank you for this word that you've uh, shared with us, God, about you being in control, Father. What a, what a glorious thing it is that even in the darkest passages of the, the New Testament where we see you... Um, stepping forth and taking the full brunt of evil as it comes for you. When we see you standing forth in the darkness as the soldiers surround you and as all things come to uh, culminate in your death and your uh, resurrection, God, we can be, we can rest assured that even in this moment, even in this moment where all of hell came against you and even in this moment when all of the world uh, came against you, you were in complete control, able to, able to destroy